You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Junkyard Dogcast. I'm your host, Jordan Hill. We have the whole crew with us this week. Get back to Benjamin Wolk. Getting ready for another highly anticipated game in Sanford Stadium. Getting ready for Georgia's Week 11 game against Ole Miss. Before we get into the matchup with the Rebels, we are going to circle back, look at Georgia's very big, very competitive 30-21 uh, to 21 win over Missouri last Saturday. Fellas, let's just go ahead and jump right into that. Very competitive four-quarter game between Georgia and Missouri. Georgia finds a way to win two very big fourth-quarter interceptions, uh, none bigger than that from Nazir Stackhouse, uh, and Georgia finds a way to win that game. Uh, Ben, I will start with you. You were there uh, with me in the press box in Sanford. Uh, What stands out to you a few days removed from that win for Georgia, Uh, how they were able to get it done against a really good Missouri team, and how they remained undefeated? I think Georgia showed what it has a a few different times this season. I mean, not to lean on what Kirby said about their ability to take a punch and give a punch, but I think that's kind of what we saw on Saturday again against Missouri. I mean, there were moments where, and I think Kirby said this after the game too, that they got whooped at times throughout the game. And I think that Missouri, I came away, you know, maybe more impressed by Missouri than I was going into the game because I think they did some really good things in the stretch run game. I think that they were really physical up front, which those Missouri defenses year in and year out are just proving to be one of the more physical, aggressive defenses that Georgia plays. And I think that, you know, Georgia had some struggles at times throughout that game, but when it came down to it, they made the plays that they needed to make. You know, when they fell behind, they went down the field and scored touchdowns. Late in the game, they probably would have liked to put a couple of those field goal possessions. They probably would have liked to punch those in just to, spread the point differential a little bit more, make it a little bit less stress-free. But really, the the only possession that I look at in that game, and I say this is a little bit cause for concern maybe, was when Georgia went up 24-13. And it sort of felt like, all right, this is one of those situations that Georgia just puts these games away. And ultimately, they did put it away. But it just felt like Missouri kind of had their way on that offensive possession they punched in a long third down conversion as well and it was just one of those possessions that I think that Georgia faithful probably would sit there and say we'd prefer to not have that you know happen that said they responded very well to that had two scoring drives immediately after that but again I think that it was a good win and another really really big time matchup coming up as well so we really find ourselves right in the middle of that you know vaunted four game stretch that we've been talking about for a long time kip you did the post game podcast looking at this win over missouri what still stands out to you a few days later the way that georgia was able to win this game uh just how georgia handles adversity like like uh ben said i mean just the fact that you know missouri took that 7-3 lead georgia had a you know just 
comes back with a touchdown. They answered the uh, the call again when Missouri went up 13 to 10. Uh, Georgia scored two times in a row. Um, we're kind of seeing just similar storylines over and over where Georgia in the third quarter looks like, you know, the Georgia of the last two seasons now. I think we're up to what? Where they've outscored their opponents 100 to 16 now in the third quarter. Uh, so it still becomes bottling up that third quarter, and, you know, and, and playing four quarters of Georgia football. But I think when you get to this part of the season, I, it's it's interesting because this is supposed to be where, well, now you are who you are. So why is Georgia able to, you know, just come out and dominate so much in the third quarter? I, I guess it goes to the, you know, those halftime adjustments. And that's really where this coaching staff's kind of really, you know, hit their stride under Kirby Smart is that, you know, regardless of, what happens when the the opponents go on script? Once once they start making adjustments, I think uh, Georgia is able to do that probably better than any other coaching staff in the country. And you know they may not have uh, anyone out there, you know, stealing signs to help them do that. I, I just think it goes back to their ability to just to immediately look on film, see what's working, and go with it. And that really goes back to they put a lot on Carson Beck's plate. And he's able to, you know, distribute the ball to so many different wide receivers. And I think that's, you know, throughout the course of the season, he's kind of still gone under the radar because, you know, you come into this game against Ole Miss and they're known as, you know, this team that just uh, has an outstanding offense. You know, Lane Kiffin gets a lot of credit, uh, but Carson Beck's the number two passer in the conference. And, uh, you know, they're throwing the ball more than they ever have before. He's doing it again without Brock Bowers. Um, so I, I just think that uh, there are a lot of interesting storylines. And honestly, we have talked about this one since the game ended, but just the fact that, you know, they put Kamari Lasseter there in the slot on Luther Burden. I know he's a little banged up, but just the job that, uh, you know, he did, them making that change, you know, acknowledging, okay, he's beating us there. We're going to have to, you know, put a stop to that. And I think he was, he was quiet, the, you know, the rest of the game. Um, I think, you know, he caught a two point conversion, but, um, at the end of the day, the, he was thrown to seven times, only caught three of them. And it was what, like 50, 55 yards. Uh, that's a good day uh, for Georgia's secondary outstanding day for Kamari Lasseter, a big, you know, NFL draft stock day for him. And, um, I just, I just think it's interesting, you know, you put Julian Humphrey in there. He played more snaps, played as many snaps as Dalen Everett, if not more, um, that that was a grow up game for the for the secondary and we kind of talked about that how you know they would be tested a lot uh, i really thought that they you know adjusted and played really well after the first couple of possessions yeah to your point with luther burden i think his touchdown was like 39 yards and then after that he had like 14 and and you did point out the two point conversion i think a lot of credit due to the secondary for how they adjusted with kamari moving down to star with Taiki, you know, probably not playing quite as much being in the dime. But to me, guys, one of the biggest plays, I think, of the game came from Taiki in that third quarter. Missouri gets the ball and is driving down the field. And third and seven, Taiki blitzes and sacks Brady Cook. They have to settle for a field goal. I do think that that game is a whole lot different if Missouri scores that touchdown. And it's sort of like, okay, we're maybe not in a shootout sort of situation, but like, okay, there's going to be a lot of points scored. Really big play from Taiki, and we talked to him on Monday, 
and very team first guy said, you know, that uh, it's all about the team before me, you know, understanding why the move was made with Kamari moving over there. And he gave Kamari a ton of credit for what he was able to do. Um, some of the other notes or things that stood out to me from that game. And uh, on uh, Tuesday, I wrote my rewatch story. So if you're listening to this, I would encourage you to go uh, read it because there's a lot of notes in there. It, it seemed like Georgia just could not get the ball moving on first and second down. They faced so many long third downs. They averaged like a third and seven. And, you know, you're putting yourself in very bad situations when you don't give yourself third manageable. And when you're really having – um, to put yourself in situations where the defense knows you're going to throw here. Uh, Georgia had five third downs where they needed at least nine yards. And, you know, they're, they're really lucky that that did not come back to bite them. I think that that um, was a real issue and caused some uh, mistakes and miscues on the offense. You know, the, the offensive line gives up three sacks after they've only given up six uh, coming into this game. I do think a lot of the credit there is due to Missouri. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, there were situations that I think they would really want to clean up out of this game. But, again, you win the game, you you smile, you celebrate it for a few hours, and you go right back to work. So turning the page, looking at this Missouri game, but looking at it from a recruiting standpoint, Ben, a lot of uh, notable recruits were on hand for this one. Uh, what can you tell us just about some of the stories coming out of the visit weekend and uh, any interesting nuggets coming out of uh, what we saw on Saturday? Well, I'd, Kip, I'd definitely love to hear sort of your insights on that one as well. But my take on it is there was a lot of good 2025 and 2026 look-aheads there. I mean, just listing off a couple of names, Juan Gaston, Zayden Walker, Jackson Cantwell, um, Jabori Antoine, a defensive back from Louisiana. Always good to get out-of-state guys on campus for games because it shows a significant level of interest. But – Really, to me, the big storyline from the weekend was Georgia's wide receiver recruiting. They had Cam Michael from Statesboro, Georgia, on a visit on an unofficial. This was his first game visit that he'd been on this year, and he's been to a lot of other places. Um, you know, I think that Georgia probably felt they were a little bit behind coming into the weekend, and I think that a lot of that is related to some of the things that we've talked about throughout his recruitment. Georgia was the last one to give him a shot at wide receiver, really. They've been recruiting him as a defensive back this whole time. That tune has changed over the last month plus or so, and he definitely spent a lot of time with wide receivers coach Brian McClendon this weekend during pregame warmups, he was standing right next to the wide receivers watching everything that they were going through. So it's clear that he is a Georgia wide receiver target at this point. He was not the only Georgia wide receiver target that was on campus. They had an official visitor, North Carolina state commit Terrell Anderson. He came on this visit. That's his second time that he's been on a visit in the last month or so. He was at the Kentucky game on an unofficial visit as well. Nothing has changed in regards to Terrell Anderson's recruitment yet, but certainly something to continue to watch. I think that there's probably a little bit of positional interplay going on here with Cam Michael, with Terrell Anderson, obviously with Nitro Tuggle still getting recruited by other places as well. And then the looming transfer portal coming as well. And Georgia saw a lot of success taking two guys out of the portal last cycle as well. So I think the wide receiver position probably becomes the most interesting position group to follow as we approach signing day, though I'm sure the defensive line might have something to say about that too. But um, those would probably be my main takeaways from the Georgia-Missouri game when it comes to recruiting. Obviously a big one coming up with Ole Miss and a night game as well. 
Kip, any additional thoughts just um, on the folks who visited uh, for that Missouri game? Yeah, we again, Cam Michael, Statesboro athlete. You know, I go back to the fact that George has recruited this guy for several years now. Um, Terrell Anderson's kind of popped onto the scene, showed a lot of interest in Georgia. You know, he's been he made a commitment to NC State in August. You know, his stock has been up since then. He's obviously a guy that Georgia likes a lot. You know, you bring someone in on, you know, a, a visit, you bring him in for multiple visits, official visit. There's interest there. Um, where his timeline is and where, you know, Georgia's timeline is, uh, that remains to be seen. I know that, you know, there's mutual interest. They like each other. But at the end of the day, Georgia's got 27 commitments already. And I've kind of said there's maybe room for two or three more guys in this class because Georgia's going to save spots for the transfer portal. Um, it's not a, you know, something that Georgia uses heavily, but they are going to look for some impact guys. And uh, I'll just say it, regardless of what happens with this class, they're going to look for an impact wide receiver in the transfer portal. And I mean, you, you can look at Florida state, what they've been able to do with a guy like Keon Coleman, uh, what Georgia's doing, you know, the guys they have with Dominic Lovett and Rara Thomas, they are going to look for another guy in the portal. So that's a spot right there. Probably a D lineman or two, you know, maybe an interior guy, maybe an edge guy, which just so happens to also be kind of where they're still recruiting in this class. So I think you just got to look at the board. They're having to make decisions on every single spot and whether they're going to take a high school player or a guy from the transfer portal to make an impact next year. The only thing I know for certain right now uh, at wide receiver is that, you know, Cam Michael has a spot in, in Athens regardless of what position he wants to play. They've already told him that. They've made that choice. That's where he is on the board, and they are recruiting him like that. And he's ready to make a decision uh, in two weeks, I believe, Thanksgiving. And he's got visits coming up, again, to Tennessee and Colorado. Those are the biggest competitors for Georgia. Right now, Georgia has to feel good about where they stand because he's always had high interest in Georgia. We thought at some at one point he might be a guy that, you know, would decide to jump on board uh, – over the summer, Georgia would have been that school back then. But obviously, his desire to play wide receiver, you know, kind of changed that thing a little bit. Georgia's come in and said, hey, you know, we'll give you an opportunity to play wide receiver. It doesn't matter because he's that kind of athlete. And I think right now, Georgia's got some momentum. But again, they got to fight off a, a couple of programs that have done pretty well recruiting the wide receiver position as of late. So we'll see what happens in a couple of weeks. That's a good reminder from Kip when we get to Turkey Day for everyone listening. You know, you'll be watching the football games. Have your phone pulled up to Dogs 24-7. We'll have the latest on Cam Michael and what he decides to do. We will take a quick break, come back, and uh, start talking a little bit about Georgia Ole Miss and uh, what we might see in Sanford Stadium on Saturday night. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back, everybody. Well, let's turn the page to Georgia Ole Miss, a very highly anticipated game between number two Georgia and number 10 Ole Miss. 7 p.m. Eastern time kickoff, ESPN, Sanford Stadium. Going to be a very exciting atmosphere and a very fun game. Uh, we had a chance to uh, talk to Kirby Smart and a few players on Monday getting ready for this game. Some really uh, interesting nuggets from Coach Smart. Um, took uh, time to really credit Lane Kiff and the job he's done there. Spoke really highly of Jackson Dart. I thought it was interesting to hear uh, Kirby say that, you know, Lane's quarterback sort of take on his mentality and the way they play. And, and I think you've seen that. I think Jackson Dart has done a very good job this season. I think the guy that really interests me the most is Quinshawn Juckins, and I think that's going to be one of the big challenges that Georgia is going to face, trying to slow him down. Uh, he has hit over 100 yards in his last three games, really seems to be uh, hitting his stride coming down uh, through November in some of the Rebels' final games. I'll start with you, oh, sort of about this matchup. What intrigues you uh, about what Georgia's going to see from this Ole Miss team and the fight they're getting ready for on Saturday night? Yeah, I think Ole Miss, kind of like Missouri, is is going to test Georgia's defense. Now, last week it was it was really about the secondary, and you know I think still uh, this offense has a chance to put some pressure on the secondary. Where Missouri was similar to, to Georgia, kind of in its precision passing, Ole Miss kind of just throws those higher percentage throws out the window in exchange for like just a vertical passing game. And anyone who was kind of watching last week in that uh you know, the, the game that the performance that Trey Harris put on, um, it, it was uh, incredible, the catches that he was making. And so that right there, that's the guy to kind of keep an eye on. Just a guy that's but 6'2", 210 pounds, and, and just making uh, outstanding plays as a Louisiana Tech transfer for the Rebels. I think he's a guy that really, his stock is up. He had a performance for the ages last week. So obviously that's going to be a guy that, that Georgia's going to have to key in on. Um, but at the same time, uh, those longer routes and that offensive line for Ole Miss, that gives Georgia a chance to, to kind of get home before it's secondary stress. So I think this week uh, the pressure's on Georgia's defensive line. It's front and, and early downs and on third down. Because like you said, uh, you know, Quinchon Junkins, he's had a lot of success uh, this season and they run the ball uh, percentage wise as much as like Auburn does. It's like it's a very, very high percentage of runs uh, for them, a lot more than, you know, what you would expect when you start thinking about this Ole Miss offense. And so with that in mind, um, I think Lane Kevin's not going to be afraid to, to give his back the ball, you know, 20, 30 times in a game if he gets hot. So I think this this Georgia uh, defensive line is going to have to really play their tails off. And um, again, I, I think that's going to be the key. You do not want to force your secondary to be out there, you know, for a long time. Especially if Georgia has to go zone it, they have to start blitzing. 
just like with Missouri, you saw that you know there are there are plays to be made up by Jackson Dart, and Georgia's going to have to pick its poison on you know what they're they're willing to give up, um, you know, and that's always what Kirby Smart talks about: what cost. You know, is the cost too high to descend an extra blitzer? And so at the end of the day, I mean, this is, uh, you know, Michael Williams, Tierney Ingram Dawkins, uh, you know, even Nazir Stockhouse. These guys have to get home so that Georgia doesn't have to send extra guys. And then we've said it before, like play Jalen Walker more. This is one of those games where, again, start using him as much as you can uh, in, in the pressure packages so that you get them behind the sticks. And on the flip side, the Rebels probably, I mean, they might do a better job than Missouri as far as getting pressure. And they often do it without like exotic blitz packages as well. And so uh, we saw early in the game against Missouri, uh, they were able to get home and, and, you know, sack Carson Beck a couple of times that you you can't have that happen uh, against a team like this. And so Georgia's offensive line, they're going to have to play a little bit better than they played in the first half and not get, again, behind schedule uh, against this Ole Miss defense. Ben, how about you? Uh, What intrigues you the most going into Saturday night? Well, I think it's natural, especially the way that Missouri was able to run the ball last week, especially on the perimeter a little bit, that, you know, the Quinshawn Judkins matchup is the one that everybody's going to be watching closest. I do tend to think – this Georgia defensive staff does a really good job of stopping whatever the other team does best or focusing on whatever the other team does best. And so I think part of what we saw last week, and we saw this with the position adjustment with bringing Kamari Lasseter inside, I think there was a lot of focus last week on those three wide receivers that Missouri has. Not that they were shortchanging or taking for granted what Missouri was going to be able to do running the ball, but I think that they felt that if, you know, Luther Burden only caught 50, you know, had 50 yards receiving. If all of their receivers were held on under a hundred yards, if Brady cook was only thrown for 200, I think that they were going to feel pretty good about the result of that game. Now I think Missouri ran the ball more effectively than Georgia would have liked. I think that will be a point of emphasis this week, but I think when you look at this Missouri or this Ole Miss team, obviously what Quinshawn Judkins does is probably the thing that scares you the most. And so I think that will be a major focus this week. So I think that Georgia will probably stand up pretty well against the run. That said, to Kip's point, I think a lot of this comes down to the defensive line, creating pressure in some of those high leverage situations. I mean, Ole Miss is one of the only teams in college football that's better on first and second down offensively than Georgia is. And I know that that was a bit of a, that didn't happen last week for Georgia offensively, but throughout the course of the season, Georgia has been really, really good on first and second down. I think, I think Ole Miss is top 10 in the country um, on EPA on early downs. And so that means there's going to be a lot of third and shorts. That means that Georgia's going to have a lot of situations where they've got third and twos, third and threes, third and fours, Who is Georgia putting out there on the field? Obviously, it doesn't seem to me that Jamon Dumas-Johnson will probably be out there. So I think those are going to be the moments that decide this game are what does who wins those third down matchups. Georgia has been really good offensively and defensively on third down this season. And so I think that if they stand up, you know, against Ole Miss on third down, I think Georgia will win this game. And that's probably a pretty boring answer because turnovers and third downs probably decide a lot of football games. But that's just the way that I see this close one going. You also have to beat them on fourth down. I mean, this yeah, is a t- <laughs> this is a team that has tried to go for it on fourth down twenty four oh, times man. this season. That's I think that's what like four, 
they they've got the third or fourth most uh, conversions in college football. So that that's another aspect with Lane that that Georgia's going to have to be prepared that if they get you know in Georgia territory that they're going to go for it on fourth down. It's a very good point, Kip. But Ben, you took basically what I was going to say. I mean, the fact that third down is going to matter a whole lot in this game. And you know, I wanted to hit on in case anyone had missed it with Jamon. Um, sounds like a fractured arm. Kirby was being very coy about it on Monday. You know, he was asked like, so what specifically is it? And he's like, I'm just basically sticking with what I said Saturday night. Although he did say a bone in the leg. Yeah. I actually want to take, I'm going to take some personal accountability for that one because I unnecessarily chirped Kirby for saying tibia. We probably should have just let it be. You make comments in post-game press conference. He's not a doctor. And then he, I think on Monday he was like, well, I don't want to answer these questions. We had these jerk offs calling me. You're saying that I don't know anything about bones a couple days ago. It happens to the best of us. Just, just know that (laughs) it happens to the best of us. But I bring that up to say, now the onus is on Smile Munden, and I would say C.J. Allen, and I think you will see some Raylan Wilson too, but Quinchon Jukins is a very good back, and I don't know if you guys feel the same. Feel free, either one of y'all, to chirp in. I thought Jamon had really come on in the last few games. Like, he was playing really well when he got hurt. It feels yeah. to me like he heard some of the chirps just because there were some early season chirps, and I think that he was like, all right, guys, what are we doing here? Like, I've been a, a sound starter on this team for a while now. Like, give me the respect that I deserve, and I think that he's been playing well. So, bummer to see him get injured, and obviously, as we've talked about Quinshawn Judkins, not that it's a direct inside linebacker to running back matchup, but definitely you don't want Jamon Dumas-Johnson not playing for a game when you've got one of the best running backs in college football coming the other direction. Yeah, those are the games on the schedule where, I mean, it it also just kind of highlighted his his skill set. I mean, he had, you know, playing Kentucky, Florida, Missouri. I mean, these were opportunities where they needed guys out there uh, to win those early downs. And then that's the other aspect. I mean, he's he's the one calling the defense. And so that that's a huge uh, responsibility that now, I, I guess, is probably going to go to Small Munden and, uh, you know, whether – they're asking C.J. Allen what they're asking, uh, you know, uh, Raylan Wilson to do. Um, it, I mean, you, th- this week in practice, they're going to have to, to make some decisions on what kind of looks, you know, they're, what packages they're going to they're going to show Ole Miss and, and, you know, how how many snaps are these guys going to play? Are you going to get, you know, 40, 30, 40 snaps on defense from C.J. Allen now? Are you going to – you know, increase Jalen Walker. Just you know, he's a he's a rush guy, but he's still gonna you know put a different package out there. Or or, or maybe you know you just have a single inside backer. Um, there's just a lot of different ways for for them to kind of uh, you know attack this. But uh, replacing Jamon Dumas Johnson now, um, I think he's going to gain a lot more fan appreciation uh, these next couple of games, just because Georgia's going to have to find different ways to, to get stops. And I, I think just his, his ability, I mean, he was leading the team in tackles for loss, uh, sacks. I mean, he was that guy that was making plays in the backfield as well. So I, I just think overall, he may not have been the most athletic inside linebacker Georgia's ever had. I feel pretty safe in saying that. Uh, but he was definitely a, a guy that was always around the football and, and took great angles uh, toward the ball carrier. So uh, underappreciated there. Hopefully uh, we get to see him play again this season. Something else that we'll be watching is Brock Bauer's availability. You know, we'll, we'll see. I'm going to have a note on the board in a little bit with a little bit of an update for those listening live. 
but you know, we're kind of getting closer and closer to where it is realistic to maybe see number 19 back. And that will be something we'll be watching closely on Saturday. I want to make sure and plug on Wednesday at 12 p.m. Eastern time, 11 a.m. Central. Uh, I will do a podcast with David Johnson from Inside the Rebels. We're going to jump totally into this game between Ole Miss and Georgia, get a better feel for the Rebels, and get a sense of what we're going to see in Sanford Stadium. Uh, Before we get out of here, Georgia Men's Basketball Minute, we're going to do this super quick. Georgia lost to Oregon 82-71 in Las Vegas on Monday. Very poor showing from Georgia. Very poor shooting performance. Started super, super cold. Uh, got out rebounded. I believe it was 63 to 41. I know they allowed 63 rebounds in that loss. Uh, the one bright spot I would say for Georgia is that they fought back multiple times. They were down 16 to 17 points a couple different times. First uh, half when they rallied, RJ Melendez was big. Jabri Abdur Rahim was really big in closing the gap. Second half, Justin Hill really came on. I thought he had his best half of basketball, and R.J. Melendez, I believe, chipped in about nine points. So very disappointing showing against the Ducks, an Oregon team that was pretty banged up going into that game. But uh, Georgia's got to clean up its shooting and do a much better job on the glass. They're going to have to do it quickly because on Friday they are hosting Wake Forest. I think uh, this is going to be a very good Demon Deacons team, and Georgia's definitely going to have to clean some if they're going to avoid starting the season 0-2. The non-conference schedule is quite tough, and uh, they better show up and have cleaned up some stuff if they're going to win this one. I knew it probably wasn't a great sign for Georgia when Kerry Oquindo was coming off the bench. I think he only caught about 10 minutes. And I was thinking, you know, not that I know it's a different team. This was a roster overhaul. There are reasons why he's not in Athens right now, but just – I thought it probably wasn't a great indicator for uh, what the two teams' rosters were going to look like. When he, he buried a three. Yeah, he had the dagger. Game. Yeah, he buried a three on Blue Cane, and I started writing uh, my post-game story. Just, just I would to like to shout out. I would like to shout out the freshman, though. I thought Silas Demery and Blue Cane both did some pretty good things in that one. So, again, if you're, if you're looking for silver linings, optimistic future in the Mike White tenure, I would say that looking at those two guys is a place to start. Absolutely. Well, we are going to wrap up this episode. I appreciate Kip and Ben for popping on. Thank you to everyone who watched this live, everyone who is listening to this after the fact. If you have not already, go to dogs247.com and subscribe. Got all kinds of good content about the football team, football recruiting, the men's basketball team, men's basketball recruiting as well. Also, go to dogs247 on YouTube. Subscribe there. You'll get Kirby Smart press conferences, player interviews, Mike White press conferences, and men's basketball player interviews, and these podcasts as well. So for Kip Adams and Benjamin Wolk, I am Jordan Hill. Until next time, take care, everybody. Should you ever set foot outside of the motel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan.